there. My name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. Foreign trips. We all love them, when we can afford to do them that is, but unfortunately they don't always turn out to be that trip of a lifetime experience they were intended to be. Obviously, things can go wrong, very wrong, on any trip. Not so much of a problem fishing here in the UK, but when you've just splashed out for a week's very expensive marlin fishing in, say, Mauritius, seeing people dismantling the hotel fronts and hiding them away in the basements because Cyclone Bella is on track to tear the place apart, as happened to me a couple of years ago, a refund for the cost of the boats hardly seems appropriate. Obviously, no one could have foreseen that. But other pitfalls are very much more predictable. So just exactly where do you start? As I see it, basically, there are two types of approach. By far the riskier, though potentially the cheaper of the two options, is to get onto the internet and set the whole thing up for yourself. Alternatively, let someone else go out there first and do all the legwork for you, then pay a bit more for a guided package, which can actually work out cheaper if you don't have to save up and do it all again because you didn't quite get it right the first time round. Sticking with the guided trips now, again there are two fundamental options. You can make your own way to wherever it is you're targeting and find a guide for yourself, or you can buy in the complete package here in the UK before you go. Again, having done both, I should point out that there are risks associated with the former and cost implications associated with the latter, though I've had some of my best fishing ever using both of these options. When I visited Bangkok, for example, to fish with expat UK guide Eddie Mounts, who operates Fish Thailand, we visited a wide range of venues in remote locations which I certainly could never have found for myself. I didn't need to take any tackle over on the plane either. As with the transportation, bait and food, that was all part of the deal. But to some extent I feel that I also got lucky, as there are a number of other guys competing for the same business in that area, some of whom may well not have been up to Eddie's standard. This is where the complete guided UK package comes into play. These people have already been out there beforehand to research it. So barring for the weather, they pretty much know how each coming trip is expected to go, and from my experience, consistently deliver the goods. Obviously, the more well-known guides are not going to be available every trip, but the basic package remains the same. Safe, tried and tested. Sat beside me here is sea angling journalist Dave Lewis, who is arguably the person with the most experience of setting up and guiding this type of trip in the UK. So to ease our way into the topic, tell us a bit about how you got into researching and accompanying these long-range trips, and what the benefits are as you see them. Well, I'm very fortunate these days that I I get to travel quite extensively. Uh, I do a lot of guiding or escorting of groups for a company called Anglers World Holidays and um, you get to fish in some pretty cool places and it's good fun and basically what we do is we pull together a group of clients many of the clients and they're very good friends I mean they've been on so many trips it's more like a club out in than a, than a group trip but it, it's a great way to fish and it all started in 1996 with a, the lady I mentioned earlier Annie Ayton who at the time I was doing a lot of work in Africa with and I was working on a book about cod fishing and that book was published in 1997 so that's right it was 1996 I first went to Iceland to to do a little bit on the fishing then which was the best fishing available for cod came back and had a fantastic trip 
caught plenty of cod, nice sized cod, cod that I never thought I'd catch again of, of a size, but obviously things have changed in, in recent years. But the resulting articles in the magazines I was working for at the time resulted in a lot of interest. Annie at the time was a specialist African safari outfitter and you know, looking into fishing in Africa, but we thought, well, why not see if we can, using the contacts I'd made in Iceland, pull together a group of people and um, take them fishing. And that's what we did. And we put the first group together, and then the second one, then the third one, then I started taking a few groups to Kenya for Annie, fishing with Kingfisher. And then we used to do the Zambezi, uh, fish the Zambezi in Zimbabwe and Zambia for, for tiger fish. Obviously Namibia, it all started towards the end of the 90s. Then the African thing evolved into my connection with Angler's World Holidays. Annie is pretty much a, a one-woman business. I mean, she's still going. The company's called Safari Plus. They're based in Dorking. But Annie is now specialises more in top-end luxury safaris throughout Africa. She will incorporate fishing, but she, you know, she doesn't really specialise in the fishing, which is why I've done more work with with anglers world holidays. So the group trips are very much a thriving part of the fishing travel industry. Why? Well, there's several reasons. Firstly, travelling to catch fish. Some people might think is, you know, if you, if you travel to X, Y or Z and spend a couple of grand to go fishing, you're automatically enjoy good fishing and catch good fish. Not so. The internet is both an advantage and a disadvantage in this. It's an advantage in that you can access all these fantastic places and read all these fantastic websites about what's available. The bad news is, you don't always get the whole truth and nothing but the truth. When we work on a new destination for a group trip, what we like to do is put as many odds in the angler's favour as possible. We like to be in the very best place, at the very best time, using the best boats available, the best crews or guides, the best baits and anything else that's applicable to success for whatever type of fishing we do, we like to try and eliminate it at the planning stage. There's nothing worse, and from my point of view as a tour guide or host, than being sat in a bar after a couple of days pretty dire fishing and some local expert to chirp up say, well if you come next month or two months ago, you'd have had a much better chance catching what you came for. If, on the other hand, the conversation is, well, it's just bad luck, boys, you know, the weather's not right, or this is wrong, or that's not right, and it can happen, and it does happen, well, that's pretty much how it is. But from experience, the vast majority of group trips we do, they run smoothly. Normally we're in for five or six days fishing, occasionally a little bit more. I'd expect to see a couple of good days, maybe one exceptional day's fishing, but also you know, you, you've got to take it on the chin and expect a couple of slow days, because that's fishing, fish don't feed all day, every day that's how it is uh, the other advantages of the group trip, because there's, there's nothing easier these days on, in principle on you know, booking up your own thing and doing it on the internet, 
is that firstly it's a great way for individual anglers to join a group and go fishing I mean most of the trips they cost quite a bit of money you know, for what people is, is a substantial whack of cash some of the trips more so some of the trips less so but quite often you'll find that there might be a guy fishing somewhere with a group of friends and he's passionate to go to Kenya and catch a sailfish or Florida and catch a tarpon but his friends can't go they can't afford to go they can't get the time off work the wife won't let them go numerous reasons so the group trips are a fantastic way to pull together like-minded individuals who've got a set goal to actually go and catch whatever they're going to catch and again it's um, I like the fact that so many of my circle of friends now, I mean real genuine friends, you know, people who I socialise with outside of fishing, I've met them through fishing trips. I mean, you know, some of my very best friends, have, you know, they first came as a client on a group trip and came back for a second, third, fourth, fifth, and you know, some of them have been, you know, 12, 15 times at different places. And not just with me, but friendships of people who've lived in similar areas or even opposite ends of the country, but still get together in the UK for fishing or general socialising. Then you've got the security element. Some of the places we go, I mean a lot of the more productive places we go, are quite a bit off the, the beaten track. And security in modern day travel, while not necessarily always an issue, should always be something that you bear in mind. And when travelling to countries in Africa, in Central America, other potentially I won't use the word volatile, but um, places that you know can potentially lead to problems. The best way to deal with the problems is to eliminate them before they occur. So I will have been there. I mean, every destination, but a very few that we we use, I will go on my own or with one or two people, and we'll thoroughly research the venue. We'll make sure that the clients are met by good, reliable operators at an airport, transferred if necessary, that we use good, safe hotels. Everything, you know, it's going to work smoothly and like clockwork. And the other thing on a group trip is that I'm there. And while people come on the trip, all they want to do is fish, problems do occur. And it's so much easier if I can say, look, you just go and... um, carry on with fishing you, you sort it leave that to me and the sort of problems that occur are changes in airline schedules you know, I mean, quite often we're using very small airlines lost luggage it happens occasionally silly little problems that can happen in, in, in various but basically the brief we have is look I want you to enjoy your holiday if you've got any problems at all don't bottle it up let me know if there's a problem with your room, if there's a problem with the boat, if you're not happy with this, if you're not happy with that, if you need this, if you want that, let me know. I'll be uh, you know, your, your point of contact with whatever, and um, that's how it works. Plus, I also spend a lot of time helping people with knots and different techniques and showing them how to fish in wherever we are. So in effect then, you were going out there first and having customers potentially bad trips for them. By eliminating any obvious difficulties, they stand a much better chance of enjoying the trip they always dreamt of having, but ultimately risk missing out on because of trying to arrange it on their own. Yeah, it's um, it's basically um, researching the venue. I mean, just going out there, trying to identify the key times to go and 
eliminating a lot of groundwork. I know people who have done their own trips to Namibia, Kenya, Norway, all the, all the main destinations, and they've come away bitterly disappointed. And um, the sad thing with, the, with sort of modern instant communications via the internet is quite often they can get on chat room forums and they can get on there and say, oh, this place is rubbish, Namibia's fished out, Norway's not what it's cracked up to be, you know, Dave Lewis has been writing a lot of rubbish in the magazine, blah, 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 blah. Surprisingly, I've got quite a, a thorough grapevine of in, information and quite often I'll say, hey, go and have a look at such and such a site, you know, so-and-so's, you know, you have a look at it and I'm professionally involved, with, you know, with a lot of these destinations and I'll, I'll do a bit of research and then I'll find out the true story that... Um, such and such and people were advised to do this and advised not to do that and they went with such and such a guide because they were a couple of dollars a day cheaper and they didn't go with this and they didn't take that and they insisted on doing their own thing and they wouldn't do this they went at the wrong time of the year because the international flight was cheaper blah 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 dozens of other things as a result of that they didn't have a good experience but then, rather than taking it on the chin and coming back and saying, well, you know, we messed up this time, next time we, we've learned, we will do it right, you know, they straight away onto an internet forum and decry in a place which, which is not fair. Yeah, but by that stage, the damage has already been done. And the damage is done, and this isn't it maybe fished out? No, it's not fished out. It might not be as good as it was, but most places aren't. But if you go to Namibia and fish with Johan Burger, you will catch bronze whaler sharks. I think it's fair to say, then, that Angler's World is your main supported trip focus. What, then, is the range of trips we're talking about here? OK, um, right, let's, let's try and get this right. With Angler's World, we, we've got a huge portfolio of destinations. Let's start at the top. Norway is one of the most popular. We also do Iceland. We do a lot of destinations throughout the Indian Ocean, which are specifically concentrating on the new trend in jigging and popping, extreme speed jigging and popping for Dogtooth Tuna, John Trevally, etc., etc. And for these, we've got a Madagascar, Mozambique, Oman, Andaman and Nicobar Islands. Uh, we do a trip aboard a lovely liverboard boat in the Maldives uh, every January, which is fantastic. Occasionally do a trip to Kenya. This year we added the Cape Verde Islands. We're in the Caribbean. We do Belize, Nicaragua, Guatemala, Costa Rica, uh, Bud and Mary's in, in Florida. We take a group there fairly regular, and we can also book private groups. It's not just um, the group trips. I mean, if you know, you've got a, a club that would like to go, I mean, we can obviously point you in the right direction, but make sure you've got the right time and fish with the, you know, the right people you know you don't need to go as a, an organised group a couple of weeks time Martin Founds who runs Anglers World he's going out to look at a new destination in, in the Cayman Islands which is geared towards tartan bonefish permit next month November I'm going down to look at Mauritius hardly a new destination it's probably one of the most publicised big game destinations in the world that's not what we're going to do. We're not going there to pull lures for a marlin. We're going there specifically for jigging and popping, which are two techniques which you know I've had little use down there because everyone who goes there wants you know they've got their heart set totally on a on a marlin. So you know that again, that's that's that. 
we're always looking at new destinations. I mean, I could list another dozen that we've we've got earmarked to go and go and have a look at. I mean, Guinea-Bissau is an up-and-coming place now with a lot of British anglers. Morocco, there's some huge potential in Morocco for bass fishing. I went there a few years back, and the stories of people catching 20-pound bass are very credible. We caught bass, we didn't catch anything approaching £10, never mind £20, but I was told I was there at the wrong time of the year. I know when the right time of the year is, and we're going to go at the right time of the year and hopefully come back with the pictures and try and do what we did in Norway. Because, um, I mean, when it comes to success in sort of researching venues and developing venues, I mean, aside from Namibia, I mean, I mean Norway's probably got to be number one destination now for any British sea angler. Well, I've fished both of those venues with you, and while we took over £15,000 of fish with individuals pushing £300 from the beach in Namibia, Norway is most definitely the standout trip for me. As a Brit, there's something extra special about catching big cod. The best on our particular trip was a £47-pounder caught by Dave Devine, though there were several others well into the 40s, plus countless 20s and 30s. As you say, a mind-blowing experience. The group trips... uh they're tremendous fun obviously it's a fishing trip and we're there for whatever we do and you know we do the jigging we do the popping some of the trips are geared towards trolling if people want to catch a sailfish or you know we do marlin destinations but um, again if people particularly want to do that we can point them in in the right direction I mean there are lots of places where you go and spend a lot of money and you probably won't catch a marlin there are places where you can go and you can spend a lot of money and you probably will catch a marlin and to highlight that very point, I know that you was recently overtaking a look at Cape Verde and came away with a bit of a result yourself. Cape Verde, we went there in July this year, reading the internet. We went out there on a recce trip, and what I tend to do now is, because I know so many of the original clients who are now friends, I'll ring around and say, look, I'm going to blah, blah, blah on a recce trip. Would you like to come? So they come in on the proviso of a recce trip. It's usually a little bit cheaper than it would be to go on a full-blown trip but they come in on the proviso we might get it wrong the trip to Cape Verde we got it wrong but we also got it right let me explain we got it wrong in that we went in in July the middle of July which research reading the websites indicated would be a good time for marlin not a good time for marlin in, in the Cape Verde Islands if you want to catch a marlin in the Cape Verde Islands go between March and June peak months being April and May and the numbers of fish, blue marlin, that they catch there are really quite staggering. You can catch a blue marlin there pretty much 12 months of the year. And some years, July can be a good month. This year, it wasn't a good month. The fish arrived early in March, April, May. They had fantastic fishing. A lot of the boats were averaging three or four or five releases a day. Big fish, four, five, six hundred pound. That's as good as you'll get blue marlin fishing anywhere in the world and it's only a six hour flight from the UK um, I said it was also the right time of the year to go purely by luck on the second day we were fishing there uh, I had last pick of the rods and my rod was taken or the lure on my rod was taken by a marlin I caught the marlin and uh, it was a 1,120 pound blue so uh, I was quite happy <laughs> let me ask you a two part question now Firstly, out of all the wreckies you've done, based on the fact that these can go either way, which produced the best goods at the first attempt? And secondly, 
Based on the information gathered in, both good as well as bad, which recce has ultimately produced the most satisfying longer-term result? Well, we've talked about Namibia, and as I say, it's myself and Clive Gammon that really sort of, with a catalyst, that got the whole thing going there for the, the big sharks from the shore. And it, it was great to be involved with that from, from the start and sort of see that through. And, you know, I'm obviously quite proud that, you know, we, we played the part we did. But the venue that um, I feel personally proudest about sort of introducing to British the anglers is Norway. And um, I suppose it sounds like I'm blowing my own trumpet, but basically with my first articles that got the whole thing going up there. And that actually started... Oh, where did it start? Late 1990s, I was at a tackle show in Holland... And I got talking with a company over there, and that resulted in an invitation to go and fish in Norway. I went, uh, this was at the, the Trondheim area, had some fantastic fishing, lots of cod, nothing big, nothing really over 20 pounds. Oh, nice fish, a 20 pound cod, let's be honest, is a, is, a, is a huge fish for a British angler, but you know, plenty of fish, nice fishing, but nothing that would really think, oh, I've, I've got to do that. But all the time you're hearing reports of 50, 60 pound cod, you know, and these, these monster fish they get there, monster coal fish and big halibut. I went back on a second trip, another different venue, slightly different. I went back on a third trip, same sort of thing. I was getting really frustrated at this stage because I knew these fish were there. Because every time I went back, you'd be talking to people, oh yes, if you come and fish so and so and do this and do that, you know, you get huge fish. I wanted to catch these huge fish. It was around the time when I started getting involved with Martin Fowns at Angler's World Holidays and that was really the changing point. Was whereas before I was sort of part funding the trips myself and, you know, relying on goodwill to get to the places and fish and knowing I wasn't doing it really right. When Martin and Angler's World became involved I managed to sell the product to them, saying, look, these fish are there. If we can get this right, I know German anglers are going and catching fish, and Dutch anglers are going up and doing really well. There's a product there, and if we can get this product right, we're going to have something to offer British anglers. And I can remember the very day when that happened. I was the third or fourth day fishing out of a place where you came with me, Phil, Kapangan, And... We were there in May, it was freezing cold, it was snowing, we've been catching fish, now, Kapangan, uh, let me just explain, is, is right up the north, it's, you know, you fly into Tromso, it's 250 miles north of the Arctic Circle, it's in Lingenfjord, which is now one of the classic cod destinations, well documented. But we were the first British anglers to go there. Uh, the place only just well it hadn't been built what am I saying I mean the first time we went there we stayed in Gunnar's house that the lodge you stayed in you know the ground was just being cleared for it but we'd had three or four days fishing and it had been okay and again we caught caught the mid doubles and you know a couple of other bits and pieces of this and pieces of that but we were, we were pretty demoralised and one afternoon Gunnar said come on it's time to take you fishing and we, the self drive boat that we'd been on was only suitable like most of the self drive boats are going a couple of miles of the, the base. Gunnar had this big all singing, all dancing motor cruiser. We cruised out and we went out 
and we fished an area off the south west corner of the island of Arnoy, a reef. And that reef I fished it many, many, many times since. But that one day we fished that reef, myself and uh, friend Steve Humperson, the average size of the fish we were catching was 30 to 40 pound, 20 pounders every drop. You know, the first 20 minutes we were catching 20 pound, 30 pound fish, I was just burning rolls of slide film like it was going out of fashion. I'd never seen anything like it. And we came back into Kapangan, and we had this monumental catcher cod, the first 40 pound cod I'd ever seen, I mean dozens of 30 pound cod. The pictures were amazing. I came home, I phoned up Mel Russ, the editor of Sea Angler. He got excited about it on the phone. He said, right, we'll give it a nice spread in the magazine. We went in the magazine, five, six pages, which was a lot for a feature. Martin's phone went into meltdown. And that is not an exaggeration. I mean, the response was phenomenal. It was just off the scale. People saw what we caught. It wasn't a case of, I've heard bits and pieces of anglers going to Norway and catching 30 and 40 pound fish here they are, look at this, this is a 40 pound cod look at these, these are 30 pound cod and uh, it was that article that got the whole thing going and then we did a group trip the following year in May and we had a boat called the Pendler which is an old wooden hospital ship that used to, you know, built in the 1950s, 60s, something like that and he used to go around the fjords with a team of doctors and surgeons on there doing minor minor operations. Beautiful boat, ten knots, eight knots, an old chugger, but lovely, comfortable boat and nice accommodation. And odd, the skipper would cook a nice lunch. And we had a couple of group trips on there. And then the following year, I mean, another few articles were published. The following year, the trips were sold out. I actually had clients on the first trip we did on Pendler because the fishing was, was exceptional again. I mean, we went back a year later and like straight away, 20, 30, 40 pound cod and, you know, it's just fishing to die for. I caught my first 50 pound fish on that trip. I mean, this, this was the fishing of dreams. That first group trip, I had clients, four or five clients, ringing Angler's World holidays from the middle of Lingenfjord, booking a place for the following year's trip. Martin had never, in you know, like a lifetime working in the trade, had never experienced anything like this. And this is a guy saying, look, book me on next year's trip. Well, we don't know how much it's going to be. We don't, don't know when it's going to be. We don't know. Listen, use my credit card, take the deposit, book me on next, year, next year's trip. And the trips were just sold out, just sold out, sold out. And then we started getting involved with some of the other camps up there, uh, Shervoy's the classic one now, um, lovely base on the island of Shervoy. It's in the Kavangan Fjord, which is the next fjord to the east of Lingen Fjord. Self-drive boats, good standard of self-drive boats, good standard accommodation, which is typical for Norway. And a dozen plus other destinations up there, they all offer fishing to die for. And uh, I mean, again, you've got a Norway... I would tell people, if you don't catch a 20 pound cod, you've been really unlucky. You should really be looking to get a 30 pound cod as an individual PB. And 40 pounders uh, are totally, totally doable. 
I've had three over fifty pounds now I'd love a sixty pounder I did a trip up there in March this year that's March 2011 to research a new venue which we're offering next year it's 18 miles out from Tromso over a reef and the cod are immense I mean the day we fished out there the biggest on the boat was 73 pounds we had two over 60 pounds and I honestly never thought I would experience a day's fishing but I wouldn't get the camera out for 50 pounds not interested we had at least a dozen 10 or a dozen 50 pound plus cod the average size was 30 40 two boats fishing alongside us commercially with jigging machines at 100 pound plus cod that's immense you know the world record for cod at this moment in time which is late 2011 stands at 98 and three quarter pounds now I know that there have been other £100-plus cod caught commercially from exactly the same marks of anglers on these trips of fishing, so presumably it's only a matter of time. That said, the timing needs to be exactly right. So with that in mind, when would be the right time to go out there? The timing for the big fish, I mean, in Norway you've got to get your head around the whole concept. In Norway, a 30-40-pound cod is not a big cod. They're fantastic fish I mean by British standards they're monumental things by Norway they're just good average size fish big fish in Norway 60, 70, 80 100 pound plus several records of 100 pound plus fish that have been caught in gill nets but that day in March this year there were two caught on jigging machines in exactly the same area that we were fishing now those fish are barent sea cod the three populations of cod in, in Norway. The Barent Sea ones, they're the big fish. And they run in from the Barent Sea, which is off north, east Norway and northern Russia. And they run in to spawn around... They used to go and spawn around an area called the Fulton Islands, which are slightly further south than Tromso. Global warming has increased the mean sea temperature, so that... that critical spawning temperature which is within fractions of a degree and everything's got to be just right has now moved north so that latitude where they spawn is now around the Tromso area and these barren sea fish they're long hard lean fish that is the run of fish that's going to produce a hundred pound cod and it's going to happen I mean an angler fishing that area is going to catch and beat the existing world record which is 98 pounds something I believe was caught off New Hampshire by a lady I think in the 1980s something like that so you've got the Barent Sea Cod. Then you've got the Coastal Cod, which are like a semi-resident population of fish. It's all the same species, exactly the same biological species. But the Coastal Cod, they tend to sort of just migrate around the fjords. They move, they follow the herring shoals, they follow the shoals of coal fish. They move hundreds of miles, but they don't go way offshore and feed in the Barent Sea and come in. These, you know, they stay around the coast of northern Norway. And those fish routinely go 20, 30 pound as an average. These are the ones that produce the 40, 50 pound fish in the summer. Because the Barent Sea fish in the summer, when most of the anglers are fishing now, are not there. And the third population of fish you've got there are the, basically the inshore, the rock cod, the red cod, the ones that you, know, you get all summer around the, the coast of the UK. And just like around the coast of the UK, they're a different colour. They're not quite as... Well, some of them are in the shallow water tend to be that lovely rich red orangey colour 
but a lot of them are, you know, they just just die to fish. But these are the, the resident ones that live on reefs and specific areas. So you've got your three populations. But it can only be a matter of time before somebody gets the holy grail of North Atlantic fishing, and that's a hundred pound card on on rod and line. It's, it's going to happen. I mean, personally, I'd settle for a sixty pounder. I'd love to catch a sixty pounder. And obviously, I'll settle for anything bigger. But um, someone is going to catch a hundred pounder, and my money would be on middle of February, March, middle of April, somewhere within a fifty mile radius of Tromso. That's the area that's going to do it. But and there's a big but. It's not for the faint-hearted. We put it in the articles. We've put it in the Anglin Anglers World Holidays literature. On a good day out there, the sea's rough. Um, there's always going to be an Atlantic swell. You're fishing over a reef. When an Atlantic swell hits a reef, it's not pretty. The day we fished up there was just about as much as I could personally take. I mean, I, I wouldn't. I, you know, I spend my life on boats, and I wouldn't want to be be out in it much more than we are out there. And the big problem is not that normally, if you know, you, you know, you know yourself, Phil. I mean, you know, you don't get seasick, but you know, every now and again, you're in the cabin of a boat, and you think, oh, you know, hang on a minute, I better get some fresh air. The problem up there is that you know, at that latitude, at that time of the year, it is brutally cold outside. So you've got a choice. You're either outside in minus six with a wind chill factor reducing it to minus twenty and driven slush and snow, dying of hypothermia, or you're stuck in a cabin. <laughs> so it's let me let me say you know from the off, it's that's the area that's going to produce the big fish, but don't go over there unless you're a good sailor because you will not enjoy the experience. That's the brutal truth. Now, so far, out of all the venues offered by Anglers World Holidays, most of your attention has been focused on Norway and its cod, because, let's be honest, cod are a species dear to the hearts of most UK sea anglers. A monster cod would be most anglers' dream fish. But there is another species, again from Norway, which we also get hot under the collar about, that being the halibut. So is the potential there, then, to put two ticks on the list during a single visit? One species that in recent years have emerged dramatically as more and more and more anglers are going there, more and more halibut are getting caught. And in the years that I've been going there, we've more or less targeted cod predominantly. I mean, I've had half a dozen halibut myself, nothing over 30 pounds. I can remember when you came, we wanted to catch your first one to get the species, and we went to that little bank in Struben which for some reason always produces one halibut, and it's usually less than 10 pounds, but it's a halibut, and you'll drift that bank and you'll catch one, you'll never catch two. Don't ask me why, but we caught one and you caught it, so you got your halibut. But uh, what's happening now, Phil, is that people are going to Norway on their third and their fourth and their fifth trips. On their first couple of trips, they've got the cod bug out of their system. They've been, they caught their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50 pound cod. They've had cod fishing like they'll never experience in the UK they've done it several times they want to try something else and the halibut are are definitely there for the taking I mean every year produces a 400 pound plus fish somewhere along the coast 100 kilo fish there are really a lot more common than than people realise and uh, you know 100 pound fish 100 kilos is 220 pound 100 pound halibut there is is a totally achievable target but you've got to fish for them and you don't fish them by just bouncing perks around and fishing as you, as you do for cod. You've got to either be very lucky and do it that way and just hook one up and hope that everything holds or fish for them. And the way that people fish for them is firstly they, 
The big halibut are caught in surprisingly shallow water. 20 to 40 metres is the ideal depth. I'm not saying you don't catch them in very deep water. I'm sure you would. But most of the fish that are getting caught are getting caught in the summer months. Late summer particularly, 20 to 40 metres. And the way they're getting caught are these very, very big shads. Jig head shads. I mean, you're talking things weighing 300, 400 grams. Or big dead baits rigged to fish on the bottom. And you basically fish upgraded tackle, the sort of thing you would fish for flatties and turbot, that sort of thing in the UK. But you're fishing for fish that are potentially 400, 500 pound plus. So you need a decent rod, a decent reel, decent braid, decent hooks. You need to spend money on good quality hooks. You want to invest in owner hooks. Um, people using baits usually use the circle hooks, and they're 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 very good. I mean, I'm talking now from what I've been told. I haven't any personal experience of this. This is just what I've read, what I've been told. But um, I mean, these fish are going to test your tackle to the limit. You've got to be able to tie knots. If you can't tie knots yourself, ask someone who can, because you know a hundred pound halibut. If your knot's not right, it's going to find it very very quickly. But the halibut, um, they're there for the catching. Uh, coal fish, the coal fishing up there is exceptional. My biggest coal fish is £33.7. I caught that spinning with £12 line, and the fish were feeding on the surface. You know, the same sort of thing as you'd see in the tropics with tuna. Then you've got haddock. I've never seen a double figure haddock there, but I've seen quite a few £9 plus haddock and lots of six, seven, eight pound haddock, which are beautiful fish. The dab fishing is exceptional. I mean, if you get a day when the weather's not suitable for going offshore, Find yourself a nice little sheltered bay, just drift, you know, covering it in. You can get some worm for bait, great. If not, just little cuts of coal fish. And the dab fishing, you know, the average size is in excess of a pound. The place fishing up there is, is, is unbelievable. We've had placed weight pound five. That's a serious fish, and we haven't done a lot of place fishing up there. I've had an angler fish up there, a couple of angler fish up there. Uh, they, they've started getting caught. If you fish slightly further south, all this now I'm talking about the, the far north of Norway around Tromso. If you fish around the middle area of Norway around Trondheim and the island of Hitra, the ling fishing out there is incredible. 50-60 pound ling, totally doable. I mean the world records have, have all come from that area. Those fjords as well, they've got really, really well established populations of these Greenland sharks in them. I mean I know lots of commercial fishermen who have told me, yeah, if you you know if you want to fish 600 or 1,000 feet deep and put a bait on the bottom, you've got an excellent chance of hooking a Greenland shark or a skate, skater there as well. So really Norway's evolving as, as a destination. I mean, obviously it's, it's number one by far now for British sea anglers, but every year we're learning more about it and more camps are opening and the more anglers that fish each destination they get into know the areas. I mean, some of the some of the areas around Shervoyano, you know, they're all starting to get names. You know, people, you know, you see you're fishing off the the western end of Laukai or the southern end of wherever Shervoy or by the bridges and you know by the banks and this sort of thing. People are starting to know specific areas that hold specific fish. And when I first went went there with Steve Humperson ten years ago, now I mean, it was just like, there's the chart. Where do you want to go, boys? And um, there's a lot of detail on the chart, but the north, northern Norwegian fjords are a lonely place when you're, you're trying to find a few big fish. But now as more and more people are going to the same destinations year after year and sharing their knowledge and 
getting to grips with it, the fishing's just getting better and better. As someone who's interested in the fish themselves, particularly unusual or deep water species, one of my abiding Kapangan memories was of a couple of Polish lads fishing with bait close in from an aluminium self-dried boat, catching a couple of chimeras or rabbit fish. I've never seen a rabbit fish up there, but they get caught. The area that produces those rabbit fish, obviously, you know, Lingenfjord does, because that, that's where you saw a couple. I've never seen one up there, and I've done several dozen trips in, in that area. I've never seen one, but the area that does tend to produce them with a level of consistency now is around Skansundet, which is the inner reaches of Trondheim Field. That's one of the areas I did on one of my very first recce trips, and we had some again, we had some good fishing, nice cold fish, and blah blah blah. But in addition to rabbit fish, there, there's a deep, deep, deep fjord section that's covered by a bridge. And if you fish on the bottom there, you will catch a shark, which I'm not sure if you've caught. You heard of a shark called a velvet belly? Yeah, we've picked up the odd one in the very deep water off the tip of Gibraltar like a chocolate brown colour, with very obvious emerald green eyes. No structure on the body, just totally floppy and softer. You catch them there two at a time. I had a couple of drops, I mean, fishing in, I can't remember, it was hundreds and hundreds of feet of water, bait on the bottom, but you will catch velvet bellies. You also get um, blackmouth dogfish up there, again, which, which I haven't caught. I haven't, I haven't done that much bait fishing in Norway, aside from flatty fishing, um, most of my fishing has been with lures. We have those in Gibraltar too, though you can now pretty much see them on a daily basis, dinghy fishing out from Crunning on the Sound of Dura in Scotland. You get the Norway haddock, which obviously you know, you're familiar with. You also get torsk, which uh, they call them in Norway, brosman, and they're basically an Arctic dogfish, and they're also a barometer of how the fishing's going to be. Because I can assure you, if you go fishing with your perks for cod, and you start catching a few torsk, the cod fishing is going to be very, very slow. Something's wrong, the cod aren't feeding, the torsk are active. So if you go fishing and you start catching a few torsk, well, move. One thing I have picked up. But Norway is just, it's just exceptional. You just, you, know, you just don't know why. You know, it's, it's often said with sea angling that you never know what you're going to catch when you put a hook or bait in the water. But in all reality, you run the coast of the British Isles, you've got a pretty fair idea. In Norway, you drop a perk in the water, you could get a 60-70 pound cod, a 30-40 pound coalfish, a halibut weighing hundreds of pounds, anywhere. To close with, I'd like you now to put yourself in the shoes of a potential client. Let's say one with a limited budget of just enough money to cover any trip offered by Anglers World, but only one of them, and presume that you haven't caught any of these fish before. What, for you personally, would be the trip of a lifetime? I can't answer that in one, but I can answer it in two. If you want to fish British-style fishing and you want a cold water experience and you want to, you know, you want to catch a big cod and you want Norway, nowhere else comes close. Iceland's good, the Faroe Islands are good, but nowhere comes close. Go to northern Norway. Don't save money and go to southern Norway or mid-Norway. Get yourself up the far north. That's the area that produces all the fish you've been reading about and watching on the telly. Warm water, I've got lots and lots of favourite places. I love to fish. I mean, I love fishing in Costa Rica. I love fishing in the Maldives, Madagascar, Mozambique. If I could only fish one warm water destination anywhere in the world for one week for the rest of my life, it would be Bud and Mary's in Florida. 
I love fishing in the Florida Keys. Isla Morada is the self-proclaimed and rightly so fish capital of the world. Um, Richard Stanzik and his team who run Bud and Mary's are totally professional in everything they do. The fishing is reliable, the guides are good, the climate's great, the place is safe and easy to get to, you've got a full range of accommodation. I love fishing for tarpon. It's got everything going for it. And for someone who's looking for their first introduction to catching big fishing in the tropics and their first sort of tropical overseas experience, they won't do any better than go to Isla Morada, Bud and Mary's. I can see where you're coming from there. I've fished it many times myself, though I wouldn't necessarily make it my number one choice. From the venues I've fished for warm water species, I would probably choose Kenya. But I'd like to throw in a fresh water option here too. I once fished the Amazon, and while I got the fish I wanted, eventually, it was tough going. The best freshwater venue for my money, and one I would most certainly go back to, is Thailand. I caught more Amazonian species there than I did in South America, plus all sorts of other big, arm-wrenchingly tough fish, with hotel pickups daily from the hustle and bustle of Bangkok city centre. An absolutely amazing place. Anyway, what I'd like to do now is trim the question down still further, limiting you to just the single species of fish. So which one out of all the different species available would you choose? That's cruel. I'm heavily into my GT fishing at the moment, but I don't think I'd want to spend the rest of my life fishing for GTs. I think I'm going to surprise you when I'm going to say bonefish. In the last couple of years I've become really passionate about saltwater fly fishing. I just love wading saltwater flats, be it in Central America or Florida, whatever, sight casting at fish with a fly rod, and um, for me, four or five pound bonefish is as much fun as you need on a fishing rod. An angler's world can provide for that. Yeah, we've got several destinations. we do. We've got places we use in Belize. We're looking at a place now in Little Cayman. We do, uh, obviously, Florida. Florida's good for bonefish. It's not one of the best places to catch a bonefish. But um, it's good. The average size of bonefish in Florida is very good. They're not easy to catch because they see it all every day. <laughs> but they're there. Which, with the wind howling outside and the rain pouring down, is probably an appropriate point to close on. And one I'll hold in my mind for the next four hours as I make my way back up north to Lancashire, with little prospect of getting the boat out for the winter cod, in the short term at least, which is what makes adventure trips such as the ones we've just been discussing such an important and integral part of fishing today. I know that not everyone is going to have the finances to do some, possibly even most of the trips they would like to do but there are more affordable venues closer to home, or alternatively, target that trip of a lifetime and save as hard as you can. Not much fun I know in the build-up to financing it, but when the day eventually comes around, usually worth every penny and more, providing you spend wisely and go for the best guarantee available, which more often than not is going to be a guided trip. (laughs) 